Good morning. We had to close church today because we had a concern with the coronavirus. And I'm not sure about next Sunday yet, but Lord willing, we'll be able to gather together again soon. I do not enjoy recording like this just by myself. I enjoy being with you as I share the Word of God. Hopefully, I can make sense and be a blessing to you this morning as I explain God's Word. This morning, we're looking at a sermon entitled, Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. As we look at where we have been, Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then another high point was, in verse 4, John appeared baptizing. Then, down to verse 9, in those days Jesus came. And then, down to verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove Jesus into the wilderness. Then that brings us to today with verse 14, Jesus came proclaiming. So we read about Jesus proclaiming or Jesus preaching. That brings to mind my first sermon. There was a man in my church in Kentucky years ago. I was a teenager and he was convinced I was supposed to be a preacher. And I didn't want to be one. Even though I had in earlier years as a younger person thought that I was supposed to be one at this point in my life as a teenager, I was not interested. I was a senior in high school. But he was determined. So he came and asked me to teach an adult Sunday school class. And I told him no, but he kept on asking. So eventually I told him yes. And my first lesson or sermon was out of the book of Ecclesiastes. I gave an overview of the book. And I think it was okay, but it definitely had the awkwardness of somebody who had not spoken or preached before. You fast forward a few years and I was in Bible college preparing to be a pastor. And one of the things that many Bible colleges put young preachers through is they make them preach towards some sort of video recording device while their peers watch them in class. And I still have those. They're VHS tapes. I know that's really old. It tells you how old I am. I still have those somewhere, but maybe if I find them, I might just burn them because I am sure they're awkward and they are embarrassing. And yet here, as we read about Jesus, he appeared, he came. And this is as Mark is organizing his gospel. He is making it clear that, that Jesus is coming and starting his ministry and he's preaching. And let me just tell you, folks, that nothing was awkward about Jesus's preaching. As soon as he appeared and started preaching, it was perfect. It was amazing. He had perfect tone. He had perfect delivery. He had perfect content. He connected to people in the perfect way. This is the first part of our study today. We're looking at Jesus present and preaching. Jesus present and preaching. Before we dive in, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bless our time together. That you would use this time 
as we consider your ministry on earth and then also ultimately looking forward to your return. Bless those folks who are home today, maybe a little discouraged. May they know your joy and the peace that you can give. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. So as we dig in here, Jesus present and preaching, look at Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I want to draw your attention to the timing here in Mark chapter 1. As we just read verses 14 and 15, it feels like this is the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. But it wasn't. Jesus had already been out in public ministering, and you can see the details to that in John chapter 1, verses 19 through chapter 4, verse 45. So there's this whole section of Jesus's ministry that Mark skips over. Now, Mark has a certain agenda with how he organizes the events of Jesus' life and records them in his gospel. And just to be clear, this is not in conflict with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In fact, through the Spirit's inspiration, the Holy Spirit used Mark and his personality and his context and the people he was writing to with his gospel and who he had on his mind to shape the material. And that is the beauty of the four different gospels as you get these different perspectives. So let's look at the pro proclaiming. Jesus was a preacher. He was a perfect preacher. So in one sense is you and I, many years later, read these Holy Spirit gospel Holy Spirit-inspired gospel accounts, we can rest in the beauty of Jesus as a perfect preacher. You don't have the awkwardness of reading someone else's sermon and wondering if they got it right. When you read of Jesus's sermon, you know he got it right. You can rest in that. Today, as we listen to news broadcasts, especially more than ever, I suppose, we have our critiques, we have our doubts of how they're presenting things. But as Mark presents Jesus and he records Jesus's message, we can have no doubt. We know that this is truth. And what a pleasure, what a privilege it is to know that we are hearing and reading truth. So as Jesus was proclaiming, there's four aspects that Mark records for us. First, Jesus was proclaiming the gospel of God. God the Father has a message of good news for all people, and he sent his son to deliver it. Next, Jesus said that the time is fulfilled. A couple, a couple weeks ago, my wife had a, an evaluation of her preschool class. And that, that's a big deal. So what does she do in preparation for that day? Well, as you know, our son Joel, our youngest, is in her class. 
So what she did for that day was she sent Joel to grandma's for the day. So Joel would not be in the class, so she would not have any concerns with Joel's misbehavior, and she could focus on other people's challenges. It's a lot easier when you don't have to worry about your own child, especially while you're under pressure. Well, the morning of, before we left, and Joel knew that he was going to grandma's, he wasn't going to preschool, he was beyond excited, and he kept on bugging me because I was taking him and also Katrina you know when, when am I going to go when am I going to go to grandma's is it time yet is it time yet so Joel is four and I decided hmm I'm going to try something so Katrina I think was in the living room brushing one of the girls hair and Joel was in the living room when he had bugged me one more time about when we were leaving and I thought hmm Joel you see the clock up on the wall now, just in case you've forgotten, four-year-olds can't tell time yet, especially the old-fashioned type of clock. But I was going to give it a try. And I said, Joel, you see the big hand? And it was on the 10. It was 6.50 a.m. He said, yeah. I said, okay. So that big hand is going to have to go all the way around and back down to the 6 before you and I leave. And you understand? I said, yeah, I understand. Okay. And so I left the room and continued to get ready for the day. And it wasn't probably 10, 15 seconds later, Joel turns to my wife and he says, it's not moving. <laughs> we got a laugh out of that. But then he understood that, oh, it moves very, very slow. But then he began to understand. And then for the next um, uh, 50 minutes, he gave us updates on where the the big hand was. He was excited. He was looking forward to the fullness of time where the clock ticks the time when we're going to leave. It was a big deal. And that is the essence of what Jesus was saying when he said the time is fulfilled. The clock has struck. The time has come. The special event has arrived. The kingdom of God is at hand. And that's what he says next. The kingdom of God has arrived, is near. And this is a huge concept in the Gospels. Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. You should study this whole concept of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Pay attention to it as you read through the Gospels personally. The presence of Jesus on earth had huge ramifications for God's kingdom. It had been prophesied and foretold. He had arrived. What that also meant is that he had inaugurated what was coming and that eventually the end would come. The beginning of the end had arrived with Jesus' arrival. Now, when we talk about the kingdom of God, they did this during the time Jesus was on earth. And we do it in Christianity today. It's a sad thing we do. We confuse God's kingdom with political power. I especially hear that today in our times in our country. And how sad it is. Christians are very confused when it comes to political success in God's kingdom. My friends, I don't have time to go into that this morning, but I challenge you, make sure you are not wrapped up in that confusion. 
In fact, as we look at what happened during Christ's time, and this is a special moment when he arrived on earth, it did not rise up with great political success, which was very confusing to his disciples. It was a time of political disaster for his followers. Yes, Jesus will return someday and he will solve the kingdom conflicts of this world and he will make us all victorious in his kingdom. But in the meantime, do not confuse political success with living in God's kingdom. And the fourth aspect of Jesus's message was repent and believe. The present and preaching Jesus called for repentance. People hate to admit they are wrong. Dictators seek to extract forced confessions in cruel ways out of people. I'm listening to a book on the history of Egypt right now. Some very gruesome stuff with how the different pharaohs did things to people to show their dominance and that they were right and that their people were, were wrong. Jesus' presence on earth brought with it a call to repentance, a call to acknowledge we are wrong and that we cast off what we have done wrong, acknowledge is wrong and turn to Jesus and believe in him. So Jesus present in preaching, people believing and following mark chapter 1 verse 16 jesus passing alongside the sea of galilee saw simon and andrew the brother of simon casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen and jesus said to them follow me and i will make you become fishers of men and immediately they left their nets and followed him and going on a little farther he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So here, as we see Jesus going alongside the Sea of Galilee, we read of two different events. The call of Peter and Andrew in the call of James and John. I don't know how much time was between those two events, perhaps just a matter of minutes, but very two very special events at the Sea of Galilee. I wanted to take our minds to the setting beside the, really it's a lake, um, the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Galilee. Lake Galilee is like Lake Wawa Sea. But Lake Wawasee is still quite a bit smaller, maybe a, a fourth of the size of, of the Sea of Galilee. But you can look up both lakes on Google and compare them. But this should help you get uh, just the setting of what's going on. As a child, I remember going and spending a summer with my grandma and grandpa Anderson. And they lived just down the road from Canadagua Lake. And I remember as a kid going with grandma and grandpa and we drove around the perimeter of the lake. And that took us, I think, close to an hour. Um, that was a long time ago when I was a kid and everything seems longer than what it really was. But I also remembered 
in Canandaigua Lake, there, there was a beach there and a place to swim, and that is where I learned to swim. I also got to go on my first ferry boat there on Canandaigua Lake. Very special times and fond memories. Here, we, are, we have the smell of the lake and the water by the Sea of Galilee. We have the beach. We have the sounds. I have never really been in a fishing village, but it must have been very distinctive in its smells, in its sounds, in its shouts, in its voices. And here, supposedly, the Sea of Galilee was dotted along the shoreline with different fishing towns. So here we are at the setting by the Sea of the Galilee. And here, Jesus calls out to Simon and his brother, Andrew. And I wonder what that was like. Was it loud? Was it conversational? We don't know. Did everybody turn and look when Jesus spoke to Simon and Andrew? Jesus was already drawing attention because of his public ministry. So pretty much everywhere he went, he gathered people's attention just by who he was and his preaching. Now, Peter and Andrew, when they heard Jesus' call, just a reminder here, they had already met Jesus and professed to believe in him. You can read the Gospel of John in chapter 1. So here Jesus says to them, I will make you fishers of men. Very picturesque phrase. And as I study and look at different preachers and commentaries and how they explain this phrase, many of them reflect back to an Old Testament account where fishers of men was a time of judgment. It's just it's hard to say definitively exactly what they took out of that, except that, yes, they were to be with Jesus and follow him and have a ministry with people. Most people today would take that as an evangelistic thing where we're going to go reach out to people and give them the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think that is a good application. And so there are other metaphors that our Bibles use to describe what Christians do in their following of Jesus. Christians are farmers, they're builders, they're reapers, they can be a shepherd, they can be a steward, they can be a servant. All these things are wrapped up in what it means for a Christian to follow Jesus. Jesus calls people to follow him. And this is not a casual request. It wasn't a casual request to uh, Simon and Andrew. And they did not think of it as casual. They knew exactly what he meant. They knew that it was a radical call. As I think of as Jesus was building his disciple team, I think of what it was like when I was preparing to plant a church in California. I was seeking to build a team and what I was asking people to do was a radical thing. They would need to move. And many of them that I knew, the people I knew were on the East Coast. And I was asking them to move with me to the West Coast, to California of all places. That's how it felt to many of them. It was a big ask. I was asking people to pray about that. And in a much bigger way, this is what Jesus is doing. He's asking people to have a change of lifestyle, sometimes a change of location, change of their routines to follow him. Now, the beauty of Jesus' call is it has the ultimate authority and the ultimate 
sway that we as human beings do not have. So in fact, when we challenge people to do something, we always need to couch it in. Is this what God wants you to do? Pray with me about this. Because we want people to follow God's call as we seek to follow God's call. And sometimes that means that we minister together in a certain way, and sometimes it doesn't. So let's look at their response. Verse 18, Mark uses his favorite word when he talks about Simon and Andrew's response. He says, Simon and Andrew immediately left their nets and followed him. John Mark's, uh, the Gospel of Mark's Arthur, which I think is John Mark, um, he one of his favorite words was immediately. It's by far used way more than the other biblical books in proportion. So we see with James and John, when they responded to Jesus's call, they left their father's family business to follow Jesus. And this illustrates that sometimes you can leave the family concerns and follow Christ. Not every time in our call to follow Christ do we leave family concerns, but many times we do. And that's one of the lessons taught in the Gospels by Jesus. Jesus calls you and I with authority to live our lives in a radical way, following him. Just a clarification, there are specifics of this Bible passage that do not apply to us. Yes, we're not today with Jesus. We're not called to be one of the 12 here, one of the 12 disciples. There is something special happening here in a specific sense, but the general principles of following Christ and living for him in a radical way and following his authority are very applicable to us. Jesus came to this earth. We do not go to him. He came to us. And Jesus called us. He, we did not call to him. He called us. There is an aspect that is taught clearly in the New Testament of God's sovereign grace. Where we in our fallen sinful condition, we don't go after God. God goes after us. In his sovereign election of us. Again, mystery there. But you need to rest in that as i've said many times rest in the fact that you heard god's call because he reached out to you and that also applies to your life he lays claim on your life and he leads you and calls you to live a certain way in a radical way and following him designing your laying out your routine your schedule your time frame your priorities your loves you live in contrast to the priorities of this world if your top priorities are your retirement and your top priorities are having a certain type of house, a certain type of vehicle, a certain type of phone, these things are wrong. If you want to have the priority of having great social media claim and popularity, these are not the priorities of Jesus and they're not the priorities that a Jesus follower should have. And your priorities in following Jesus are reflected with how you spend time with him in prayer and in his word. Many Christians are living, quote unquote, good lives. They're not living the radical life of following Jesus the way he calls them to. Believing and following Jesus is a consuming, consuming way of living. 
Two points of application. First, have you responded to Jesus' call? First of all, in salvation. Jesus makes a general call to the world. So he makes a general call to you and he invites you to come to him, to believe in him. As your Lord and Savior, the one who has authority over you, the one who can take care of your sin. So you come to him acknowledging your sin and your guilt, knowing that as you place your belief in him, he will take care of your guilt. And then he has a call for your life. Are you living your life for present concerns? Or are you living your life based on Jesus' call on your life? He has authority to order your life. He has a plan for your life. Secondly, are you living a life <clears throat> as a disciple of Jesus? And this really is very similar to what I was just saying, but let's be very specific here. You are called to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. So you are a learner of the teacher, Jesus. You are a follower of the master, Jesus, of the rabbi, teacher, Jesus. So your priorities of your life should reflect and everybody can say about you, yeah, you're a disciple of Jesus. You're a learner of Jesus. He has laid claim to you, and you live your life that way. I encourage you, my friends, to spend a few time, a few minutes, uh, spending time reflecting on whether you honestly are living out these truths of what it means to follow Jesus.